0: Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth begins today with a serious story. In 1959, a journalist named John Howard Griffin changed
1: himself from a white man into a black man. He used drugs and sunlamp treatment and dye to darken his skin, and then spent six weeks traveling throughout the racially segregated South, posing as an itinerant black man. One description of this experiment said, He left behind his privileged life as a southern white man to step into the body of a stranger. As he traveled, he journaled the treatment and the reactions that he received from people. Some of it was really awful. He was denied housing, transportation, work, even sometimes the use of restrooms. He experienced rudeness, racial slurs, violent threats, Just because his skin was dark. Griffin wrote about his treatment in a book called Black Like Me. And as I read about this, I thought, you know, the story of Jesus coming to earth could be titled Human Like Me.
0: This is the Revive Our Hearts podcast with Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, author of Choosing Forgiveness. For February 28th, 2024, I'm Dana Gresh. Today, we'll focus on the humanity of Christ. Here's Nancy.
1: And that's what we read about in Philippians chapter 2, for example, that says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, we talked about his deity yesterday, he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And the description that was given of John Howard Griffin, I think we could modify to say of Christ, that he left his privileged life as the son of God in heaven to step into our bodies. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is God, his deity. Today, we want to focus on his humanity, his deity and his humanity. He is God and he is man. Now, there are two errors we can make in relation to Christ, and both extremes are dangerous. The one is that we elevate his humanity and diminish his deity. The other is that we focus on his deity, the fact that he is God, to the exclusion of his humanity. And we see that mistake made in many cultural portrayals of Christ. For example, at Christmas time, we'll often sing that carol away in a manger. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. The baby Jesus cried, he was human. You look at paintings of the baby Jesus in an attempt to honor him as God, you'll often see this. Light surrounding him and a halo over his head. The fact is he looked like a normal baby. He was human. The scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 2 that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And who is the mediator? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. J.I. Packer says that you could describe these verses as, quote, the key, not merely to the New Testament, but to the whole Bible. For they crystallize into a phrase the sum and substance of its message. The mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That mediator between God and men, God and mankind, had to be a man, had to be a human being. And I want us to look at today just some evidences of the fact that he was human. For example, as a man, he had a human physical body. He was flesh and blood. He was born as all babies are born. He had to grow up physically. We looked at that in Luke chapter 2 in an earlier session. He had a physical appearance. He looked like an ordinary man. People didn't think there was anything unusual about him. He didn't walk around with his halo over his head or this aura surrounding him. He didn't, you know, always wear this white robe while everybody else wore other colors. He looked human. In fact, his own brothers and those who grew up around him did not believe he was God. They said, is this the carpenter's son? He looked like a normal man. He was in appearance a man. He had normal physical functions. He ate, he drank, he breathed physical functions. He had the capacity to experience pain. We see that in Gethsemane as he sweat drops of blood. His physical makeup was responsive to stress. On the cross, we see that he bled. He died physically. He had a physical human body. After the resurrection, he appeared to his disciples in a glorified physical body. He said in Luke 24, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So even after his resurrection and his glorified body, he still had a physical body. He is human. He is God, but he is also man. And when he ascended to heaven, After his 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended in that glorified physical body, which he still has today in heaven and which we will see when he comes back to earth at his second coming. He didn't go to heaven and just his body vanished and he became a spirit again. He has a human physical body, which he has retained. He has not only a human physical body, but he has physical limitations and weaknesses. He, while he was here on this earth, Jesus walked from one place to another. He didn't fly like Superman. He walked. He's physical. The scripture tells us that he got physically tired. We see him sleeping in the boat. We see him wearied from his journey, sitting down next to that well in Samaria. The scripture tells us that he got hungry after he fasted in the wilderness, he was hungry. On the cross, he said, I thirst. He got thirsty. Normal physical limitations and weaknesses. I asked myself recently when seven out of eight people who were staying in my home, myself included, came down with a stomach bug in one twenty-four hour period, I asked myself, did Jesus ever get the flu? <laughs> did he have headaches? Did he get colds? Now... It's interesting. Over the last 24 hours, I've been consulting my theological lifelines, people I know who study these things, and the fact is that scripture doesn't explicitly say. It does tell us he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired. It doesn't explicitly say whether he ever got physically ill, but Hebrews 2 tells us that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest to us. So that means he experienced the full range of what it meant to be human, except without sin. So it's not unreasonable to believe that if he was susceptible to hunger, thirst, tiredness, and death, he would also be susceptible to sickness. Now, not the kind of sickness we get after we eat too much or because uh, we're lazy or we have lifestyle issues or lifestyle choices that make us sick. But his human body existed in this fallen, corrupt world where there are germs, there are sicknesses. It's a a broken world, and, and it seems reasonable to believe that he participated even in that aspect of our humanness. Not only was he physically human, but he had a human makeup and soul. All the elements of human nature, whatever it is to be a man, apart from sin, he had. Take the whole area of emotions. He had the whole range of emotions, the whole gamut. This was no dry-eyed, joyless, unfeeling robot. Jesus was constantly moved with the things that move the heart of God. For example, let me give you several examples here. Matthew 8 tells us that he marveled at the faith of a centurion. He marveled. He was moved with compassion. We see this many times for a leper, for needy multitudes, for a widow who had just lost her only son. He was moved with compassion to the point of tears. He cared. Uh, John 11 speaks of him as being glad and rejoicing. Take the whole area of humor. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us, again, explicitly that he laughed. There's no reference to him laughing. But again, I would say it's reasonable to believe that Jesus enjoyed good, clean humor. You had a band of 12 men traveling around with you, and it's not going to be raunchy humor. It's not going to be locker room humor, but it's going to be just enjoying, having a good time, enjoying God's creation. Jesus had the range of emotions. We also know, and there's a lot about this in the scripture, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The whole range of human emotions. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He burst into tears over Jerusalem. At the Last Supper, Scripture says he was troubled in his spirit. He had this range of human emotions. That verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, he's human, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. You see Jesus having this whole range of emotions, and that says something to us. Sometimes we think that emotions are are something bad. They're supposed to be suppressed. That if you're a good Christian, you won't really get very emotional. Well, the example of Christ in his humanity tells us that emotions are an important part of what it is to be human. and gives us a model of the, the healthy, wholesome Godly, balanced display of emotions, exhibiting those emotions as Christ did in the right time in the right way, in the right place, and over the right things. My problem with emotions is I squander my emotions on the wrong things. I have the wrong emotions at the wrong times. I'm angry when I should be glad. I'm glad when I should be angry many times. And I'm being driven by my emotions often rather than by the Spirit and the Word of God. But nothing wrong with having emotions. In fact, to be fully human as a child of God is to express emotions in a wholesome, balanced, godly way. That's part of our discipleship, being conformed into the likeness of Christ, to where we don't um, squelch our emotions, we don't bury them, we don't pretend like they don't exist, but we're able to express them in godly and balanced ways. Well, Jesus experienced all that it is part of a human makeup. He experienced temptation. As we've seen in this series, he experienced a need for dependence on his father that led him to pray. That's part of what it meant for him to be human. If he was just God and not also fully human, why would he have needed to pray? And why do we see such a pattern through his life of him praying to his father over and over and over again? It's because he was fully man and he was living life on this planet in that human body as a man. He fully possessed a human nature without possessing a sinful nature. And we need to keep that tension in view. The sinful nature, remember, is not inherent to humans. Adam and Eve were humans without a sinful nature until they sinned. So Jesus was fully human without having a sinful nature. And it wasn't until Jesus came to earth fully God, fully man, that we could understand what God meant and what he intended when he said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What did that look like? Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God, but pretty soon thereafter, they blew it. They rebelled against God. That image was shattered. It was marred. It was broken. So we've never seen what it looks like to be a man created in the likeness or the image of God, apart from Christ. And in him now, Christ has shown us what that was supposed to look like. What we would have been like had we not sinned. Now wrap your mind around this if you can. The life that Jesus lived here on earth was intended to show us what we would have been like and what we would be like apart from sin. Fully human. We need that picture. We're so helped by that picture. Now, his humanity was not only necessary for us to see what it was like to be created in the image of God, but it was necessary for us to be saved. His humanity, Christ who is the image of the invisible God, becoming a man, made it possible for us to become sons of God. You read that in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that's the deity, born of a woman, that's the humanity, so that we might receive adoption as sons. To make us sons of God. Jesus came as the son of God and became a man. Now, again, as I try to do on this program day after day after day, that's the what. Now, what is the so what? What are some of the implications of that for us? Let me just mention a few. First of all, the fact that Jesus was a man makes God accessible to us. I have a friend who received an email this week that she shared with me and received permission for me to share with you. This lady said in her email, I feel really distant from God. It's hard to reach out to him at times because he seems unimaginably big and powerful and distant and because he is unseen and spirit. Have you ever felt that way? Can't get close to God. He seems so far away you can't see him. Well, in Christ, God came near. Look to Christ and in him you see how to draw near to God. He makes God accessible to us. And then we experience incredible gratitude and worship as we contemplate the incredible condescension of Christ, that he, equal with God, would take on human flesh. Let me read to you a couple of um, quotes from a theologian named A.W. Pink. who has written some wonderful things on the nature of God, and he captures some of this wonder. He says, God became man, but what does this mean for you and me? You can never again take sin lightly, as Jesus Christ saw it as something so destructive that he came out of heaven and endured the worst that man could throw at him to deal sin a death blow. And you can never again take God's love lightly. You can't take sin lightly because Jesus became a man to deal with it, but neither can you take God's love lightly. He didn't have to become a man and suffer as he did, but he did, and he did it For you. How could we ever doubt the love of God when we see Christ becoming a man? Let me go on and read a little bit more from A.W. Pink. He says, It was truly remarkable when man was made in the image of God, but bow in wonderment and worship at the amazing condescension of God being made in the image of man. How this manifests the greatness of his love and the riches of his grace. It was for his people and their salvation that the eternal son assumed human nature and abased himself even to death. He drew a veil over his glory that he might remove our reproach. Surely pride must be forever renounced by the followers of such a savior. He humbled himself. He veiled his glory. He took on our flesh and our humanity. That's the power of the incarnation. How can we not humble ourselves toward God and toward others? Here's another so what of the humanity of Christ. It gives us great encouragement and comfort. When we experience physical weariness, pain, human limitations, the whole world, gamut of emotions in a broken world, we're reminded that Jesus has experienced all that and more. He subjected himself to the same laws of nature that we are bound to. So when we're struggling under the weight of physical and emotional challenges of our humanness, we can cry out to him and know that he understands, that he can empathize. Psalm 103 says, he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Now, how does he know that? Well, he knows it because he created us, but he also knows it because he walked in our skin, human like me. That's what makes him a merciful and a faithful high priest who is sympathetic toward us and our weaknesses, as Hebrews 2 tells us, and is able to help us. There's an old gospel song that I love. It says, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. And we know because he's been there. And then just one other, so what? As a result of Christ's humanity, he left us an example, First Peter tells us, that we should follow in his steps. And then it goes on to say, he committed no sin. I want you to think about this for a moment. This will be mind-blowing if you haven't thought about it before. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. We are called to be holy. Sin is an affront against a holy God. And we are told that we are to be holy. To follow in the steps of Jesus. To follow his example. But how many of us know we can't be holy? We aren't holy. We are sinners. We have a sinful nature. We're commanded to be like him. But here's the good news. By his grace, we can be holy. Now, process this with me for a moment. Jesus was fully God say, okay, that's how he was holy. He was fully God. But wait, he did not rely on his divine nature and he did not draw on his supernatural power as God to resist temptation. When he was here on earth, when he overcame those human limitations and in order to fulfill his mission here on earth, he didn't rely on his powers as God. He still had those powers, but he didn't rely on those powers. Rather, he lived a perfect, sinless life as a man in a human body. And how did he do it? By depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. And by using the same resources that are available to us as human beings. Get this, it'll really change your paradigm about how you respond to temptation, how you try to live the Christian life Jesus faced the same temptations, the same daily struggles, the same weariness, the same exhaustion, the same weaknesses as we do without sin. He responded perfectly under pressure. Oh, that I could say that. He obeyed God in the midst of adverse circumstances. He loved unlovable people. He trusted his father's heart when he couldn't see his father's hand. He overcame as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. As a man, he lived and operated, empowered by the Spirit while he was here on this earth. And the good news is that that same power is available to us. By his indwelling Spirit, we can overcome. We can live that life as Christ lives in us. Put these two verses together from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Say, boy, yeah, for sure. He did miracles. God gave him the Holy Spirit and power. But then look at Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The humanity of Christ means that as Christ relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to live that perfect, sinless life, so can we follow in His steps by depending, relying on the power of that same Holy Spirit, relying on those same resources that Christ relied on as a man. Does that encourage your heart? It should. It encourages mine.
0: Jesus is human. You've probably heard that before, but When you focus on that truth and really think about it, it helps you appreciate Jesus in a whole new way. Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth has been leading us through that process. That teaching on the humanity of Jesus is part of a series called Incomparable, The Person of Christ. A woman listening to this series wrote to tell us this, Nancy, your ministry has touched my heart in many ways, and God has used it numerous times to convict me about something I need to change or work on. I appreciate the work you put into Revive Our Hearts. Your love of Christ reflects in what you do. And then she wrote, as a listener who's been positively impacted, I want to take on a more active role by financially supporting the ministry. My husband and I donate to several ministries on occasion, and we were thinking about making a monthly donation to one. We've never felt more led to donate on a monthly basis to a ministry. We chose Revive Our Hearts. We're thankful to God for giving us the provision to be able to support what He uses to touch so many lives, including ours. Mm. Wow, we're so grateful for this couple who's joined our Revive Partner team. Have you heard about our Revive Partners? They're people like this woman who've been impacted by Revive Our Hearts, and they support us in prayer and give on a regular basis, investing in the work God is doing in the lives of women through this ministry. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find out more about the benefits of becoming a Revive Partner at reviveourhearts.com whether or not you join our partner team. For your gift of any amount to revive our hearts, you'll receive a copy of Nancy's newest book, Incomparable. It's full of 50 readings to take you on a deeper journey of discovering who Jesus is, which is a great addition to this Incomparable series you've been listening to. We'd love to send you Nancy's incomparable book when you give at ReviveOurHearts.com or request it when you call us at 1-800-569-5959. That's 1-800-569-5959. When you see depictions of Jesus in paintings and films, do you ever notice that he sometimes comes across as wimpy? Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth challenges you to think of an important aspect of Christ— his masculinity. That's on our Incomparable series, continuing tomorrow on Revive Our Hearts. This program is a listener-supported production of Revive Our Hearts in Niles, Michigan, calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ.